Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here at Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, Big Dom dominated on his Anfield debut as Liverpool saw off Bournemouth. From Enzo to Enzo, we'll get the latest transfer business as well as touch on Sunday's visit to Newcastle. And to do all that with me, we have James Pearce, Ollie Kay and Kiva O'Neill. And as ever, let's start with those three little words. Ollie, you can start this week. Still too chaotic. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that, Kiva. A little open. Mm, yeah. James? A mixed bag. Yeah, I'd say sort the defence. But they love those three words. We might well hate them, but they love them on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. John Setzo said Tom looks fun. John Clayton said Enzo embarrasses Caicedo. John Weller still look fragile. And Raymond Mohammed, defensive signing required. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Well, James, you were at Anfield and you gave your initial take on the match in our new At The Match pod. And it was brilliant. It was absolutely fabulous. People, you've got to listen to it after the Newcastle game. Anyway, it's on the feed. Go and have a listen to that one. But what's a more considered view now with a few days to think about it? Yeah, I think it was, you know, there was a lot of parallels with the Chelsea game on the opening weekend and what we'd seen in pre-season it's, uh, with, there's, you know, depending on whether your glass is half full or half empty, really, because, um, you know, ultimately Liverpool won the game with a little bit to spare. But, you know, I think everyone would say, would agree that there were too many scares along the way, especially with how poorly they started the game. I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes was just absolute chaos you know it was one nil could easily have been two or three with how vulnerable Liverpool looked and then yeah it took them 25 minutes to to kind of awake from their slumber and then that that's when the positives kicked in you know Luis Diaz brilliant finish you know how good is it to see him back looking so sharp and scoring in back-to-back games because I think you know that's one criticism of him has been that there's not enough end product at times Probably a little bit of fortune, I think, with the penalty decision and, and obviously Salah following up to tuck that away. And then, yeah, second half, dealing with the, the adversity of the red card. For me, that was a incredibly harsh one. And then Jota giving Liverpool that, that two-goal cushion. But, you know, they had to absorb a fair bit of pressure with, with of course, uh, Wataru Endo coming on for his debut in that last half hour. So um, there was lots to admire, but also plenty, I think, to be concerned about, especially with the fact that the next game you know, is is against a much better calibre of opponent. Yeah, Kiva, I think it's probably fair to say that the first two games of the season were against sides that, well, I don't think they're going to be troubling the, you know, the top of the league, really. Liverpool have seriously picked up off the end of last season and just, I guess, last season in general. There's still like a good positivity to them, but there's still these holes and gaps and weaknesses and things that need to be fixed. That's sort of your worry going into a big game like Newcastle, that they don't quite look, you know, as brilliant as they can be. In attack, certainly there's moments. Obviously, we'll talk about Sobosly and how great he looks and McAllister as well before, obviously, that's sending off. I think 
when you look at the opening two games, I can't say Liverpool should be, well, Liverpool fans would be too excited or too happy. They'd be happy about certain moments like Luis Diaz's goal, for example, which you could watch on repeat for the rest of your life and it would just be still as miraculous. Just, you know, to do it at that level is just incredible. So, yeah, I think it's, I don't know where we're really at in terms of Liverpool and kind of, you're still waiting for them to wake up a little bit defensively more so but I think just in general in terms of where they're going to be this season I don't think we know that yet let's talk about the positives Ollie the um Sobersly had a very good home debut didn't he he looked the part he is he the sort of midfielder that Klopp thought he was getting with Kate? you know actually I thought he was much better than that in many ways because the way he wasn't afraid to run into the wide areas yeah I think um yeah, he, he moves around an awful lot and he pops up in different positions. I think Cater came with that, that, that sort of um, reputation of being all action and all energy. And it, it often seemed like he, he was sort of reining it in a bit. He ended up being a different type of player at Liverpool um, to the one that I think people thought they were getting. Uh, yeah. He couldn't cope with the physicality of the Premier League. It was simple as that. But this fella does, doesn't he? He does, he does. And he's, and he's more... I don't know. He, he always seems to want the ball. And he always seems to be sort of coming onto it in a, in a, in, you know, running onto the ball in, in positions that are, you know, where he's equipped to do danger, where he's often got sort of five yards to run into or, or, or you know, pick up momentum or, or shoot. Um, he's clearly got quality. I didn't, I didn't like the dive for the penalty. Let me, let me say that. But um, I'm sure some people will say it was, it was a foul and rightly a penalty. I, I I thought we totally made made a meal of it. I never like that, whoever, whoever the player, whoever the team. But it, but it was um, no, it was, it was a very encouraging, very encouraging home debut indeed. I looked out, James, and I thought to myself, the midfield. We talked about it all year, you know, sort of all season last year, and um, I don't think we'll be talking about it as much. Clearly, we're not sure where all the pieces are going to go, but certainly. It looks, even if the a man short, or maybe two men short, it still looks as if there'll be a more than workable midfield, and much better than last year. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think if if there is concern at the minute, it's probably the the lack of depth in that department. There's certainly no concerns about the the caliber of the the two that Liverpool brought in early on in the window in in McAllister and Zabozlai, because I think they've both already shown kind of what was so glaringly missing from that midfield for so much of last season with the the energy, the dynamism they brought, the, the creativity as well. I really love Zabozlai. I think um, it's quite mouth, mouth-watering really to think, you know, it, it, he's still he's still getting his feet under the table. This, you know, it's, yeah, he looks the part, you know, it's, and I, and I thought he really came into his own as well on last weekend after Liverpool went down to 10 men because he, he's an incredible athlete. And he, and he put in some shift covering the amount of space that needed covering with, with Bournemouth having that numerical ad, advantage. And, um, you know, obviously a big part in the third goal with the, with the shot that, that, that Neto couldn't hold on to and, and Jota tucked it away. So, um, yeah, he's, yeah, it's, he's, he's got a lovely mix, I think, of that, of those kind of like just physical attributes that are tailor made for the Premier League in terms of his physicality. But also it's, it's combined with this real, technical expertise which um I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with. I think he's gonna have a, a lot of fun on the right with Trent Alexander Arnold as well. 
and that is something Jurgen Klopp's going to now need to look at. Like, how much of Trent do you put in the middle of the pitch, and how much of him do you know? Do you keep in that sort of original Trent role where you'd have like a golden triangle of Salah, maybe Henderson, and Trent Alexander-Arnold sort of cutting it up on the right and making things happen. Sobosly now feels like he's someone that can take that creative attack and pressure off Trent and sort of let Trent go back into that, you know, where he's just giving someone the ball and they're moving it about a little bit with them and that kind of thing. So that's another option now. I think, you know, the Trent role is something we'll discuss and discuss, I'm sure, but I feel like Sobosly is another answer for how Liverpool can play this season. And That's sort of what struck me from... Um, watching the highlights of of the game on Saturday. Well, again, I agree with you there, Kiva, because his best moments seem to be when he he drove in behind the the defence out wide, and he was causing havoc out there. And I think that's that's going to be a real bonus. I mean, I I, I suspect Ollie that one of the big problems again you're going to have that with any time you get a new midfield, but there's going to have to be a load of tactical tweaks, isn't there? There's going to have to be... Klopp will be learning about these players as much as they're learning to play for Liverpool. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, if you look at, if you look at the way Liverpool's midfield has been over the last, well, five, six years, and, and there, has been a, there has been an evolution gradually, but, you know, towards a more technical style. But, but for most of last season, it was Fabinho and Henderson and, and one other, whether it was Elliot or Thiago or, or Jones or, or, or whoever, Milner. Um, this is clearly going to be a, a totally different midfield, whether we class Trent as being part of that or not. Uh, the, the, the first two additions that have been made have been McAllister and um, Shabozlai, who are much more creative attacking type players than I think, you know, I think a lot of people were just calling out for somebody who could sit in front of the defence being being the main thing. And it's it's surprising really that that Klopp has gone sort of has prioritized the more creative side, or creative and energetic, let's put it that way, um, side in, in, in McAllister and, and Subozlai. And there is still that that brittleness that, you know, I mean it, it does look fairly porous that the midfield it has done in the first two games. Obviously um Endo has come now from from Stuttgart. Uh, there are questions about whether there'll be another midfielder, whether it will be a, a, another more defence-minded midfielder. I was reading James's piece on the Athletic that that was unlikely; that it was more likely to be a sort of more box-to-box type. And uh, it feels like the the midfield is very much going to be a work in progress for the first few weeks of the season, or a few months of the season, really, because it, I'm sure. I mean, it goes without saying that it's it's not going to be the mis- the, the midfield that Klopp envisaged two or three weeks ago, is it? You know, I, th- I think it, it's kind of you know go, going back a few years now to when Liverpool signed Thiago. Klopp talked then about how you know he wanted to kind of you know evolve Liverpool's midfield from being this kind of hard grafting running unit that that filled in and covered spaces and. And Liverpool being a team that relied so heavily on the fullbacks to create and the front three to score, and I don't think it ever really happened with Thiago because mainly because he, he's just missed so much football. You haven't really been able to kind of, for any real consistent period, you know, have build a midfield around him. Um, you know, with with McAllister and Zabozlai in in terms of like the impact they've had, their skill set. You know, just just more than anything, it's just that injection of energy that that was so lacking when you just 
you get so you got so sick and tired last season of seeing that Liverpool midfield outworked and overrun, you know, time and time again. And now and now you see this that spark and energy in there that was that was so lacking before. And um, yeah, there's no doubt when you look at Zabozlai and McAllister's numbers, you know, they they will definitely have a, an impact in the final third in terms of goals and assists. And you know, you don't have to look at some of Zabozlai's back catalogue of of goals that. At Leipzig to know that there's a there'll definitely be a few special ones up his up his sleeve. I've got no doubt about that. But I, I was I was quite struck the other day when I when I saw that clip in the dressing room at, at um, I was going to say Melwood at, at Kirby with um, with Klopp introducing himself to um, to Endo and he's saying, "God, you know, we we really need your qualities, your heart, your legs, your brain. You know, we're, we've got very good attacking players, but we really need what you can bring." And I. I I mean, to be honest, I I feel like the pressure on Endo is going to be huge because because of what that midfield lacks without him. I, th- I think I think he he is going to be the guy who's who's going to be expected to bring you know a lot of the heart, a lot of the defensive discipline, solidity, resilience, because the strengths of this team are are, are going forward. And I think um, he's going to have a lot of work to do. I think. No, yeah, yeah. But the one thing that come. For me, Kiva, that come out of Saturday, is that they're going to be fun to watch. They're going to give you hairy moments, but they're going to be fun. Yeah, they're always fun, aren't they, in some way. Even if it's chaos or sadness, it's usually fun. Uh, but yeah, I think the attack definitely will score a lot of goals. You're already seeing Luis Diaz looking just the absolute business, two goals and two. I was thinking about him and I reckon he's probably... You know, is he on for like his best goal scoring season of his career? Because it feels like it could be the way he's looked in these opening two games that that he could score every game. He's going to get chances. He could score in every single game. He's he's got the ability too, and he'll definitely get you know the the chances. And he's someone as well that does a lot of running with the ball and just gets it into the places that you need it to be. And I think that will you know become something that is just so important to Liverpool throughout the season if obviously you know Touchwood he doesn't get an injury because you just want to see him there every week in that position because I would hate to defend against him he's just like embarrasses you and then does it again like five minutes later wouldn't be for me mm-hmm. um, but yeah and then Diogo Jota as well who I think maybe struggled a little bit in the opening game but is there and thereabouts when you know there's a chance to be gobbled up it feels like he's a player who can get there and do that. Sometimes he scores, you know, the goals close. Like close, he said, he loves being close to the goal. When I chatted to him in May, like as though it, it was sort of like, duh, like you've got to be closer to the goal to score. And I was like, oh yeah, kind of makes sense. But he just he knows to where to be, when to be. And I think he probably doesn't get a lot of credit for that movement and sort of intuitive like behavior on the pitch that he just sort of you know, like ghosts into spaces without defenders really always picking up on him. I think he probably could have scored three or four goals on Saturday. Well, for more match reaction, as well as a really interesting read by Greg Evans on Big Dom. Liverpool's secret weapon and a small feat, just head over to The Athletic. They have some brilliant stuff on there. For the latest subscription offers, head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Okay, last year we talked about 
the midfields so often that we got sick of it. Everyone got sick of it. We didn't want to hear another word about the midfield. Are we heading that way with the defence, James? Is this going to be this year's emotionally draining and boring subject? Um, no, do you know what? I think it's probably a bit harsh to point the finger at the defense in terms of you t- if you're talking about you know, a, a, f- a four man unit or five man unit, if you want to include the goalie. I, I think it's more structural concerns in terms of the team, in terms of L- Liverpool just look so vulnerable to counter attacks. That is a theme that has carried on from last season. And, and I do, I've kind of reached a point with the new system where I'm, I'm almost thinking, is it time to ditch it? It served a purpose at the back end of last season in terms of getting Liverpool going again. It certainly got Trent Alexander-Arnold going again, but it does feel that opponents are now becoming more and more wise to it, you know, and how easy it is really to exploit that space down Liverpool's right-hand side. Liverpool got away with it against Bournemouth because, you know, with the greatest respect, they're, they're limited in terms of to what extent they're going to punish your mistakes. But, there's no chance they're going to get get the same opportunity if they make the same kind of errors at St James's Park on on Sunday afternoon. So I don't think it's an individual issue at the back. I actually thought Andy Robertson, who I thought was very unfairly singled out by some after the Chelsea game, I thought he was absolutely outstanding against Bournemouth and really played a big part in spearheading that fight back from the, the mess of the first 20 minutes. So for me, it's not a personnel problem at the back. It's more of a system problem. And I do, you know, I, I do think that the time has probably come to go, do you know what? It's, it served a purpose, this system, but let's go back to 4-3-3 and just, and just have Trent as a, as a right back or before the end of the window, if you want, you know, if you see him as a midfielder now, go and buy yourself a right back and, and treat Trent as a midfielder. I'm not sure this hybrid thing is, is for the long term. I'm with you on that, James. Where do you stand, Zanzali? Because, I mean, I've, all this talk about, oh, let's buy a strong left-sided centre-earth to cover all this ground. And I'm like, well, no. Why don't you just go back to doing what you're doing well? Or, as James said, buy a right-back? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you and James on that. I, I mean, I, I think there's no doubt the um, the system, the change of system worked uh, towards the end of last season. But it was also, I think you could see that, run of fixtures coming a mile off and thinking, well, Liverpool have actually got, you know, they've got a really tough February, March, then they go into some easier fixtures that were mostly against the the bottom half teams. And I think that run slightly, you know, I think the results slightly papered over the cracks. It, it, I it, say it, it every week. It was really underwhelming, wasn't it, as an unbeaten run? You're like, oh yeah, they're unbeaten. Yeah. <laughs> The, the pressure was off, though. In, in some ways, they were they were chasing, you know, chasing top four, but they had nothing to lose, and and the fixtures weren't tough. I mean, look, second half at Leeds was was fantastic. I think the first half at Leicester was 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 very very good. But these were these were teams that were in free fall. The idea of putting Alexander Arnold in midfield, I hear the arguments. I understand the arguments. He could potentially, t- you know, become a, a a really really good midfielder, but he is the best at what he does from right back. And Robertson is one of the best in the world at what he does from left back. And instead of this system that I, that I think asks too much of absolutely everybody else, including Alexander Arnold, who's basically having to do two jobs, I, I think Liverpool are better off playing to their strengths. I, like like James says, I think the biggest issues 
last season, yeah, they were structural in terms of the, the formation, but they're also the personnel within that structure. I think I, I felt like the priority this summer should have been to get the right personnel for the, for the structure. I, I'm still not quite sure they've they've done that. I, you know, I love the McAllister signing. I love Soboslai. I don't know enough about Endo to know whether he can make that work as a 4-3-3 or whether he can make the sort of box midfield work alongside Trent. But it's, it's I feel like it's, it's, the, the the change in formation and the change in Alexander Arnold's role have been a sort of it's resolving a different issue to I I I, I think that the main problem with the team which was that it just wasn't working last season and that they needed they needed toughening up in that midfield. James Enzo, he came off the bench and you had a close up view of him against Bournemouth. And um, well, he certainly had a better time than Caicedo, didn't he? I personally think Liverpool have dodged a bullet with the two midfielders going to Chelsea. I think both of them are overpriced, and I don't think they are the sort of players who you are going to be building the team around long term. Of course, Enzo isn't, but for fifteen million, fifteen point six was it? Then he's, you know, he's the sort of punt you can afford to take. Give us your view, close up view of him. You know, sort of the early indications. I thought he was he he did well on on Saturday afternoon. It is it, there's no getting away from the fact that it's a real left field solution to a major problem. And and as Ollie's touched on before, it, you know, it is going to be intriguing how he deals with that pressure because you know it is it's a world away, isn't it? From yes, he's got you know Bundesliga experience, but he's been part of a Stuttgart team where the expectation level each season is: can we stay up? And that is very, very different going from that to, to playing at Liverpool, playing at Anfield, where you're expected to win pretty much every single week. And you can understand why from a character you know, viewpoint, why Klopp has gone for him, because me and a few of the other reporters spoke to him after the game. And you can just see he's a thoroughly nice, humble, down-to-earth fellow. Who, you know, he was He was wide-eyed, really, in terms of he just couldn't quite believe that this opportunity had come his way. He said... You know, it's been my dream for years to play in the Premier League. And I thought at the age of 30, that chance had, had passed me by. And, you know, he said it was only three days before that his agent had called him and said, Liverpool want you, but you have to decide quickly. Surely you do decide quickly. I'm sure his answer would have been like, yep, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I think I probably just, I think it was just shock more than anything else. Because of course, yeah. usually with these, Whenever things were, you know, you it's in there's speculation for weeks, and you know, in initial inquiries, and would you be interested? And you know, we'll come back to you. We're just trying to establish, you know, what would it take personal terms? What would it take with the club? And so, you know, usually these processes are are very much drawn out, aren't they? And but so you you know, it's we 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 know what what happened because it was clear because you know a week earlier Liverpool had agreed a fee with Brighton for Caicedo. They thought he was coming. Then they go back in for Lavia. You know they miss out on him as well. So then, you know, at the the early part of, la- of of last week, they had to they had to reassess. And Klopp, you know, he he's been really enthusiastic about. It. I know people will say, well, what else is he going to say? But I think, you know, he he has been at pains to point out that this isn't some consolation prize, and or this isn't just some fellow that's been brought in just to fill out the squad a little bit. You know, he is adamant that he said, you know, Endo had been on his list all summer. Of course, he wasn't. We know he wasn't the number one choice. He was probably third, fourth or fifth on that list. But um, Klopp, from all the people he's spoken to, obviously, Jörg Schmadke 
with his wealth of Bundesliga experiences uh, too, you know, all the feedback they had was incredibly glowing. And, and I suppose the big question is, if he is as good as Klopp says he is, why has no one taken a punt on him before now? That's, that's the kind of, that's the one that sticks out for me because at the age of 30, you know, why was he still at Stuttgart? But, you know, it's, it's one that clearly Klopp believes in the owners have backed him because it, it's a complete departure from the owners' normal transfer strategy of investing in players aged under the age of 25. But Klopp has, has you know, made a very compelling case that, that he believes that, that Endo will, you know, will prove to be worth this investment. I wonder, could it be the fact that, you know, he's 30, he's the wrong end of the age scale. And when he was young, the group thinking football wasn't that you had to pay huge money for defensive midfielders. Because, you know what, I've seen a lot of football and I maintain that should be a relatively easy position to fill. You need someone who's mobile, someone who's intelligent, someone who can tackle, um, and disciplined. And of course... The best thing about Endo, I think, might be that he will be willing to subvert his game for other players because when you're a defensive midfielder, you have to do that. You have to do the the dirty work for other people. And the thing is, he's getting his chance late on. He wants it. Do you think that might be a huge benefit to Liverpool, Kiva? Yeah, I think so. I think because it is so left field, you just think this could just work. And when you look at his numbers as well, I think the one thing that stands out for me is his injury record and that he doesn't really have one you know he's someone who played I think was a 33 out of 34 games in the Bundesliga last season has rarely missed a game in the past I think three seasons obviously very experienced as well having captain Japan at international level there's so much good that you just you know you've been reading from Andy Jones's piece and beyond that hearing about him and then obviously getting to see him on the pitch and was it you know I think his first action was a tackle, so you know that always will um, get the cop on your side pretty quickly. I think, especially a tackle. But yeah, I think thirty Liverpool needed that experience, and for him, it look it it sounds very much like a dream come true. But he also it feels like a bit of a throwback sign, and in terms of he just seems really sound. And I think it's not the player that anyone would have imagined Liverpool would have signed this summer, but it, I think. It could just work out. Yeah, I mean, my concern would be his mobility, Ollie. But uh, he's also played at centre-half over there, which, <laughs> given the way things have gone over the last few years, you never know when you're going to need to co-opt a midfielder into that position. Yes, we don't want to see any of that again. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a stopgap, is there? You know, it gives the younger players a chance to grow into the role because it, it strikes me that that sort of position is not somewhere that you want people that haven't got a lot of experience playing. You need to know the game inside out. And, of course, they can continue looking for longer-term targets. They can. It'd be, it'd be interesting if, you know, if they're not to get a sort of specialist number six in this window, it'll be interesting to see if they're, they're already working on one for January or, or indeed one for next season. I, I mean, it does, it does, it does undoubtedly feel a bit sort of stopgap that the endo signing. Um, I know he's got, you know, is it a four year contract, but it, it feels like he's signed because there is an immediate and urgent need. If they felt he was somebody they needed regardless and somebody what they wanted regardless, you know, I'm sure there was a way of getting him earlier in the, earlier in the window while still trying to get 
love you and could have could have got embedded in by now. It's it's it clearly wasn't ideal to go into those opening two, two games with McAllister anchoring the the three, and I, d- I don't think that's a solution because it just it, it just sort of um, dilutes so many of his strengths. He can do it, but it's it dilutes his strengths. So it, it's a good pragmatic signing in inner circumstances and, and sensible pragmatic signing in the circumstances. But I think it's if it's the kind of thing that Liverpool have not previously done over the last five, six, seven years, it's because Liverpool were always always seem to be less the last couple of years, but always seem to be ahead of the game, have their signings lined up well in advance, have identified weaknesses before they arise. Nothing ever seemed to be reactive. I think this is a reactive, pragmatic signing. And I think it's a good, reactive, pragmatic signing. But I think you've got to see it in the context that, that it was made. Yeah, would rather would rather not be in that situation, and it does speak to the chaos in the recruitment departments. But what else do Liverpool need? Well, Simon Hughes has got a few on that, but he's off gallivanting around Italy. But he sent us a voice note, so let's hear what Simon thinks. Hi everyone. Um, perhaps there's a gap between what I think and what Liverpool will do, but nevertheless, I do feel that the squad is a couple of players short at the moment for what could be a very long campaign if they take the Europa League seriously which I think you know certainly match going fans are, are hoping that they do I think that the two positions that are lighting at the moment are, are in midfield and defence there's a potential three as many as three areas where they could target depending on how they use existing players certainly I think in in the sort of the holding midfield role despite the signing of Endo last week they still need a, a high quality option in that area but that, that could change depending on the use of Trent Alexander-Arnold in certain games and if he does uh, transition into more of a, a sort of a traditional midfielder rather than a hybrid role that he's currently operating in. Liverpool will then need another option at right back, I think. So yeah, there's there's quite a lot to consider there. And then if Liverpool continue with the the sort of the hybrid system, I think that they will need another option in central defence. That could apply to either the left side or, or potentially the right. In terms of the players who are available. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a football scout, but I think there are obviously quite a lot of players under consideration for the for the defensive midfield role and has been for quite a long period of time. I don't really want to say player names, but I think there's certain, certain profiles that need to be fulfilled if the players are going to be considered good enough to play for Liverpool. So ideally, you're looking for somebody who has you know at least Champions League level experience, and ideally somebody with Premier League experience. But I'd say I'd say Champions League experience would come over that. I think when Fabinho signed for Liverpool, he was used to playing at the highest level. Obviously, didn't have um, didn't have Premier League experience, and then you know it's, it's probably harder to find. I would say a left sided centre half because there aren't. There aren't many who can fill that role across the you know European scene in terms of the highest, very highest level. I've said before that I think Liverpool possibly have missed out on Mickey van der Ven 
uh, who signed for Tottenham and has looked very good in his games so far but somebody who is is similar similar to him really sort of left-footed who can play both left back and central defender as a central defender um you know big powerful that would be sort of the, the profile that i would be looking for james you wrote on monday that they're looking for the club's looking for another midfielder type, but not necessarily a a defensive midfielder. Someone who's um, you know more sort of multifunctional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's that's my information. I didn't. I must admit, I was quite surprised at the reaction <laughs> when I read some of the comments. The 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 anger and fury that 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 that, that triggered because. <laughs> you are the focus of anger and fury on Twitter or whatever it's called. Now, X, you're to blame. I tell you that every week. It's never a good sign when my brother messages me to say you're trending on Twitter again. It's <laughs> it's never going to be a complimentary reason, is it? It's, um, but it, I, yeah, I, do, I don't really understand the, the kind of the vitriol on the basis that when you think Liverpool have been in the process of trying to replace Fabinho and Henderson... And out the two of them, one was a specialist holding midfielder. The other one was a more versatile one that had played in a variety of roles. And if you're replacing those two, well, you've effectively just replaced Fabino. And I'd say you need to now go and replace Henderson. And Liverpool have said that they're in the market potentially for like a multifunctional midfielder who can play in a number of different roles. So I, you know, it's you know, for, I know I know they keep getting linked again with Andre at Fluminense. Um, but, you know, my understanding with that was that, yes, there were some discussions a few weeks ago, but, you know, Liverpool were told by Fluminense that, you know, because they're still involved in the Copa Libertadores, that they don't want to lose him in this window. And that would, they, they want to hold on to him until the January window. So I think unless, unless Liverpool's stance really changes and they're prepared to make, you know, a kind of the, the, an offer that Fluminense couldn't possibly say no to, that deal looks like it's on hold. Um, you know, again, Decore at Palace, interest there, there was, but, um, you know, I think that the fee that Liverpool had been quoted was pretty uh, astronomical. So, yeah, I, I, I think, I still think Ryan Gravenberch's situation is one to keep a, a close eye on. You know, we've talked about him lots over the, over the last few months. You know, Liverpool held discussions with his father in Holland back in, I think it was April, April time, um, because they knew that he hadn't really been getting many opportunities at Bayern a year after moving moving there from Ajax. And, and I think he would tick a lot of the boxes for Klopp. Uh, the, the issue has been that all summer Bayern's stance has been that he's not for sale. So um, that'll be really interesting. I think if Bayern's stance changes and they are, they make it clear in the last week or so of the window that they're open to to, to considering offers, then Liverpool will 100%, I think, be part of that conversation. However, they're not the only ones. I know Manchester United are, are keen as well. So, um, so yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn. So it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. 
LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Okay, let's talk about Newcastle. 2-0 win, St James's Park, back in February. It was brilliant. They haven't been beaten at home at that point, Newcastle. And Liverpool maybe wrote the luck a little bit, but it was brilliant. And it came a week before the Carabao Cup final at Wembley. But they do seem to have improved. I've got to say... I'm not the biggest fan of their business in the transfer market this summer, but they tore Villa apart, and um, and Villa are a good side. Perhaps Unai Emery, uh, Chanson is a bit too far with the high line he played, but, uh, you know, clearly they're going to be a dangerous proposition, Ollie. Oh, yeah, and um, and <laughs> in terms of taking chances with, with high lines, uh, I mean, that's the, that's Liverpool all over, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, if they're... If Newcastle's favourite opponent would be a team that that dares to play a high line against them, then 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 this this could be a this could be a, a nervous afternoon for Liverpool. But it's you know, funny enough, I mean, I think Newcastle lost only lost five Premier League games since the start of last season. Two of them against Liverpool, two against Man City. I forget who the other one was, but it's it's. Um, I mean, that shows Liverpool have. I mean, they've they've been good games and tight games. Even the even the two 0 at St James's last um, last March, it, it, it was tight despite the fact that you know Newcastle lost the goalkeeper early on and were two 0 behind early on. They're very impressive. I mean, you, you say you say you're not impressed by what they've done in the transfer market. I know what you mean because it's not really like strikingly. You know, they're not signings that make you think that make you go wow. Um, but then you look at them and you look at the way they've just sort of quietly upgraded almost every position in the team while also upgrading the the existing players, people like Fabian Scher and, and Longstaff and Joe Linton and Almiron. They've either improved players or they've or they've upgraded them. And then you look at people like Bruno Gimaraes and uh, and Tonali and the impact they've made in midfield and you think, well, are these are these the type of signings Liverpool could and previously should have and would have been in the market for are these are these not the kind of players that that would have improved Liverpool and I think Bruno Gimaraes certainly is so I, I I'm really impressed by them and I know I'm not impressed by their ownership model or anything like that uh, I don't like it at all but in terms of what the, what the, they've done on the football side and what Eddie Howe's done and what Dan Ashworth's done and the way those players have come together and 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 built a team which I think is far better than the the, the sum of its parts. Um, I think it's been really impressive. I think Liverpool have got a real test on Sunday. Real test. Yeah, it, it is, isn't it, Kiva? This this will tell us much more than the first two games of the season where the team are and how far they need to go. 
Yeah, because you didn't know where Chelsea were going to be at. They made so many signings, were terrible last season, looked really, really good. And then at the weekend, they didn't look really good anymore. So, you know, I think that kind of sums up the early stages of the Premier League season in a way. And Liverpool then facing Bournemouth for home. Liverpool usually always win a home under Jürgen Klopp, especially, you know, um, in the past few seasons. And you'd imagine that Newcastle is the one they sort of had maybe on the calendar as if to say, right, this is going to be the first big test because I think the first game of the season, drawing it in the way they did was okay. And it's like, you know, take the point, move on. Bournemouth, I think had Bournemouth, you know, it had been 1-0 for, for longer or Liverpool had lost that game or, you know, not been able to get a win, then I think there would be some worry now. But there's not. There's just a worry of like, how are Liverpool going to, cope with Newcastle who just look as Ollie says like the absolute business and like quite a scary sort of side to think about your team playing against at the minute and I think they were last season obviously Liverpool were able to get the better of them but they're much stronger now you'd imagine as a team so um, I think this is yeah the first big test of the season for Liverpool. James what are you expecting there? Darwin up in the scoring last year there. Is he going to get a chance? Uh, I'd be surprised. Um, currently, I think, because the, you'd say the top end of the pitch is where, where Liverpool have looked at their best so far. Um, Nunes, is ob- obviously, his opportunities have been limited so far. So I'd be, unless there's any late fitness issues there, I'd be, I, I, I would imagine he, he can probably best hope for a role off the bench because it, it, it's not as if Klopp will need to freshen things up from a physical standpoint because they they would have had a full week to prepare. So yeah, it will certainly be a lot tougher than last season. I mean, I think going there last season, Newcastle had one eye, didn't they, on the on the League Cup final. Um, Liverpool were 2-0 up in no time. Nick Pope gets sent off and it was a really strange game after that because it was Liverpool didn't really know whether to, to stick or twist and they almost made a bit of a hash of it um, but ended up getting the job done but yeah it's it's such a different game to the opening two games where Liverpool have been against teams in real transition teams with new managers at the helm that are still trying to like get their feet under the table and trying to you know put their plans in place with with the players that they've they've inherited and the ones they brought in you know as Ollie said before like you know Newcastle are such a you know they are a slick unit and most of that team have been together for a while and I really like Tonnelly that they've brought in this summer Isak is a massive, massive handful. Um, Liverpool are going to have to be really, really wary of of the threat that he can pose. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's one of those ones where Liverpool are going to have to really raise the bar. Like if they if they produce a performance like they did at Chelsea or like they did against Bournemouth, they'll lose. There's no doubt about that. I, th- I think they because Newcastle are they a can't much afford more to be pitch. sloppy at the back, can they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no, you can't, you can't. If they, especially St James's Park, I've been to St James's Park many, many times over the years. When you know they, they seem to just be in this perpetual state of flux and infighting and fury aimed at Mike Ash. And it was actually a great place to go and play because you know you you just knew that as long as you got you know you scored first, you know they there was you know they'd implode almost, but. It's such a different place now. There's such a buzz around that place. They feel, you know, that Eddie Howe has really built something. Um, and and yeah, they, you know, they it wasn't a fluke that they beat Liverpool to a top four finish last season. And 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see further on down the line this season. I think it will be more difficult for Newcastle having to juggle the demands of European football they've not been used to. But yeah, here and now, this is this is a really tough test. And I think Klopp will know that. He, he'll know that if Liverpool make the same kind of mistakes they've made in the first two games, there'll be no papering over the cracks at St. James's. We could have done with getting them later on the season when they'd had a Champions League game midweek, couldn't we, you know, and, um, and come back. But... It will be a huge test. Well, that's it this week from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Ollie and Kiva, and you for joining us. We'll be back next Wednesday. We'll catch you then. It's never a good sign when my brother messages me to say you're trending on Twitter again. The Athletic.